composting as well. So community composting is an idea that we're experimenting as well. So if you don't want to take on the responsibility of composting yourself, what about if your neighbour does want to do that? Do you want to just drop off your food waste to your neighbour if your council doesn't collect that food waste? Hi, welcome to the Building a Better Future podcast. Stories from climate tech founders. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's Building a Better Future show, stories from climate tech founders. Over the last six weeks, we have been chatting to founders who are still in those exciting but challenging early years of their startup life. And we've been exploring with them where their love for sustainability began. We've been hearing about their journeys to founding their companies and learning about the challenges that they've faced in those first few years as a founder. My name My name's Cherry and I'm the owner of Above and Beyond Recruitment. Our business partners with climate tech companies and we help them to develop their employer brand and then grow and scale their product and engineering teams. And if this is your first time listening to the Building a Better Future series, please go and check out our previous episodes. We've interviewed some amazing people who've got some really interesting stories to tell. Um, So if you're a founder yourself, if you're thinking about starting your own business, or if you're just passionate about all things climate tech and the innovations that people are coming up with to save the planet, then please go and check out those episodes. Um, The video recordings are all on my LinkedIn page. Um, There is also an Above and Beyond YouTube channel where you can see all the previous recordings, and we'll pop the link to that in in the comments here. And we also have a podcast version available for anyone who wants to listen on the go, um, which you can find on Acast, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And today we are joined by Vikesh Solanki, CEO and co-founder of Horizon. Launched in December 2020, Horizon is the UK's leading recycling app. Only 10% of the plastic in the UK is actually effectively recycled. So through using their free app, you can scan a barcode on any product and be told exactly where and how to dispose of it, helping us all to recycle more and waste less. Vikesh had a long career as an app developer before beginning his startup journey. And in the last two years, he has been part of some of the leading startup accelerators, including Carbon13, Subac, and Google's Startup Advisor program. So I'm sure he's got some really interesting insights to share with us from those experiences. Vikesh, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Great to be here. Thank you. So I always start these interviews by going right back to the beginning and trying to understand where that spark came from. Um, You know, you've got a a long background in history working in tech, um, a clear kind of passion for sustainability and that kind of entrepreneurialism that's come through that's driven you to start your own business. So where do you think the kind of puzzle pieces for that came from throughout your, your early life? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in quite a working class um, household, um, but I remember ever since I was younger, um, I've always been fascinated by building things. Um, I've always uh, played with like electronics and been. As a child, I was subscribed to this magazine called Real Robots, where you'd get a, a new piece of uh, electronics each week and you'd build a robot whilst everyone else was playing PlayStation and stuff like that. So I think I've always been interested in technology ever since I, I can remember. Um, and yeah, I've always been building. I did a electronic engineering computer science. Uh, degree at um, Aston University and I think it was when I was uh, in my teens I started thinking about how can I actually use this to do do something good I think I I did a placement year at IBM and they had these give back days 
And I remember how much I enjoyed it. I'm getting paid to, to do charity work or help people in the community. And I thought, how can I make, how can I do this for a living long term? And so I think it started, started really early. And in fact, one of the first apps I ever built, in fact, the reason I learned how to code was because I wanted to build an app um, to help people revise for their GCSEs. And so I remember like I had that idea and I was consumed by that idea. So I, I got my student loan and spent it on a MacBook and taught myself how to build apps. And uh, so that's where it started. And that's a great place to start because ultimately, you know, if you're going to build a successful business, it needs to be something that solves a problem someone's got and helps somebody and gives something back. So the fact that that's how your mind was working already at that age um, shows that you were somebody destined, I suppose, to to do your own thing. And did you always want? No, I mean, you know, that that sounds quite entrepreneurial in and of itself. There, getting your own computer so you could build your own app. Um, mm. Did you always know you wanted to work for yourself ultimately, or is that something that just sort of happened by by circumstances your career developed? I think a little bit of both. I think um, the stuff I wanted to build, I, I couldn't see it anywhere else, so I thought I have to build it myself. Um, but I looked at joining other mm. companies and other things out there. Um, but this at the time, in 2010, uh, the App Store was a very new thing and like it was ex exploding. And so like there wasn't any companies that were building or very few companies that were building educational apps. So I thought the only way to do this is, is on my own. And, and I think it's similar with Horizon. Like what I, the problem I see, I can't see the solution out there at the moment. So I'm trying to build it myself. I said, what's that? They're saying necessity is the mother of invention. So there you go. Never is that, <laughs> oh, that <yeah>. truer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you you contracted for a long time then. So post your degree, you went and worked for IBM and then had you know quite a long period of time contracting as an app developer. Mm -hmm. So talk me through that experience. I think that must you know be incredible to work for so many different companies and get so many different insights into different mm -hmm. products, different ways of working, different business models. What are some crucial lessons that you learned from that time in your career and how do you think they've impacted your journey as a founder? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I'd say my first sort of business idea was this GCSE revision app, but I didn't have the experience or the confidence to really go for it. Um, it generated a bit of buzz, but at the time I spoke to a few investors and they were they were like, how many people are going to download an app on their phone? And because this was 2010, nobody believed 16-year-olds would pay for apps. And so it was like a, a missed opportunity. Um, and then so, yeah, I went into the contract world just to, to make money, I guess. And uh, it's been really useful because... I've met a lot of talented teams. I've worked with loads of talented people um, in the contracting world from all, all different sectors. I've learned different sort of management techniques and what it takes to get an app from, from the idea all the way to scaling to millions of users. And um, I've been doing that for a few years. And in between, I've actually quit contracting and tried to launch a couple of startups before this. So I've kind of gone through this cycle oh, a few you. times. Yeah, and it's always been some sort of um, for good application, not necessarily sustainability. So education was the first sort of uh, startup. The second one was like a health tech application. And now I think sustainability is kind of my key focus. Um, but I was contracting up until um, I think, yeah, 2020, uh, just before COVID hit. And I thought I've got no excuse for this now. Like I've, I've got enough saved up. I've got the experience, like now's the time to just go ahead and do it. If there's ever going to be a time, now's the time to, to try it. So interesting you said that because I, th I said in, in my last episode I did on Friday with Buffy from Carbon Re, um, that's been such a solid theme throughout this series. Uh, I think you're okay. potentially, the, I think the seventh founder that I've spoken to in the, the series and everybody has said, really, it was COVID that kind of pushed them over the line. They had an idea or they had inspiration or there was something they wanted to work on, but just having that final push 
um it seems it seems like that's a really common theme so yeah interesting and so did you start the idea for horizon whilst you were still in a contract and were you sort of juggling the two at the time or did you finish that contract and then think right let's let's work on this and just solely focus on it yeah, the, the idea for Horizon has been bubbling in my head for, for years. In fact, I find, found some old notes that I had from 2013 describing the idea and, and the problem of like not having enough transparency about what we have. And it's funny, I met, I've built a few prototypes in 2015, and so it's always been there. And so when it came to quitting my job, I thought, okay, like this, this is still a problem. We still have no idea what we're eating. We have no idea where it comes from. We have no idea how sustainable it is, the supply chain, um, but all sorts of things are these things that we consume every day. And so I thought, yeah, this is this is the time to do it. So it's it's I've had the idea for a while, but um I started it as soon as I left. Fantastic. And so what did those um just just on that actually, I think there's there's real value in that, isn't there? Do you keep all your old notebooks and all your old kind of little project ideas <laughs> somewhere? And and how do you go back to them very very often? Or was this just, you know, just coincidence? It was just coincidence. I do, I do keep them. I don't visit them very often, but once in a while I'll, I'll sort of be looking for something or something will pop up. And I just remember seeing this notes and it was like just a, a a summary of, I couldn't even explain it better today than I did back then, but a summary of the exact problem I was trying to trying to fix. And so it was just a coincidence that it came up, really. Amazing. And if anything, it yeah, was... Yeah, one of, one of the other people... Sorry, go on. Go on. Yeah, if anything, it just sort of reiterated that I should be doing this because I've been thinking about it for so long. I forgot that I thought about it. And so, yeah, it seems like it's meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. Um, I was just going to say one of one of the other founders I spoke to right back at the beginning of the series said that he keeps a kind of abandoned projects folder on his laptop um, and revisits it regularly. Every little idea or inkling he's had that it never turns to anything goes into that folder because he said, you know, later down the line, there might not have been budget for it at the time, but then you may do have it later or there may not be an appetite for it at the time. It's yeah. So yeah, he goes back and looks in that folder regularly. And it, it sounds like, you know, if it's something that you thought was a great idea, then if you look back at it and it still looks like a great idea today, then yeah, it seems worth going for it. Um, so you committed full time, then you finished finished the last contract and revisited those notes, revisited that idea and thought, oh, I'm going to I'm going to go at this. What did that look like then for those first few months? How did you start working on it? What did you attack first? You know, how, how did you get this off the ground? Yeah, I mean, those first few months for any new project, for someone who, uh, who likes to build new projects, those first few months are amazing because it's like it's a green field. You can go anywhere. You wake up, get out of bed, like raring to go and building it. And it's and it's new. So it feels really fresh. Um, and so it was it was, it was really exciting. Um, and and yeah, like uh, I remember that the hardest thing, this was never meant to be a recycling app, that the, the goal was to build um, transparency about everything. But the more I d- dug into recycling, the more complicated it was and more I realized how much of a problem it was for so many people. And so what it ended up being initially, and I've spent two years just building deeper into recycling, but initially it ended up being just a, a sustainability app. You scan something, we'll tell you about the ingredients, we'll tell you about whether it has palm oil. And I've still got some of that code kicking about, but um, after looking into it, I think I've, we've focused on this just to fix this problem first and waste and then mm. expand out into the other areas. Interesting. And was there any particular reason that you decided to refine it down? Was it just that the data across the whole piece was going to take too long to gather on, or, mm. or, or was it just that, right, let's just focus on one problem at a time? What, what made you hone in on that? 
Yeah, it's exactly that. We could either do like I could either do loads of things badly or just try and do one thing really well. And then the more I looked into it, the more complicated it got as well. It wasn't just as a case of showing the recycled plastic symbol. It changed in every different location that you were in, you know, and it, it just what happens to your recycling after you throw it away is very complicated. So it ended up being quite quite a rabbit hole. Um, so so yeah, you have to focus in order to to refine it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah, there's definitely something to be said for just getting really good at one piece, that kind of inch wide, mile deep focus on something and just really yeah. nailing that bit, most definitely. OK, and so how I mean, how were you funding it in those early days? Was this literally bootstrapped you just funding your way through it or did you get any kind of grants or funding or external support to, to get this going? Yeah, so in the early days, I it, I deliberately saved up to take a year off to to work on this project. So it's all through saving some contract work, and then luckily, um, as you mentioned, we've had a, a great support from um, some grants from people like Subac and Carbon Thirteen, and also Lambeth's Net Zero program. And so we've been for, uh, supported by a few grants there to get to really get going. Um, but in the early days, it was fully bootstrapped, um, all, all of uh, my my savings uh, during that time. Interesting. And, and those grants and things, those those areas that when you went and got access to, talk me through what that journey looked like. So at what point did you think, right, I need some extra support with this, albeit in the term, you know, in the form of funding or in the form of a startup accelerator? Where did you go first for support? How did you know it was time? Um, and how did you know which avenues to go and look down? Yeah, it's really tricky. And I think it goes it goes back to how do you want to structure your business? And but do you want to be a venture funded business straight away? Um, and I thought we wanted to actually build a bit of traction and figure out what our product was, figure out what our problem was a little bit more. And then I started looking, looking for um, different accelerators. In fact, Carbon 13, I saw the advert um, on, on LinkedIn two days before the deadline or something, three days. And I applied and, and we got in. So it was very, very spontaneous. Uh, not much uh, like planning went into it whatsoever. Um, and some of the others I sort of came across and planned a little bit more and thought, OK, this is really appropriate for us because Lambeth, for example, we joined Lambeth's Net Zero programme. That was really appropriate because our product is really useful for local authorities. It, you know, local authorities lose a lot of money from um, contamination recycling. And so that was a much more targeted, uh, thoughtful application. Mm, OK. And so that, that that first startup accelerator, then that was Carbon 13, the first one that you went through. Talk me through your experience of of that venture builder. What was that like for you? Did you meet other co-founders on that, or was it did it just remain being being you through the process? Uh, I met a few co-founders, and we sort of tried different teams with different co-founders. It was a bit of a, a roller coaster of different co-founders, and um, it was really really useful. Carbon thirteen, if for the if anything but the the education around impact. Because um, we'd been building this app that solves a problem, but we hadn't really put much thought into actually how does that translate into carbon emissions saved? And there's a lot of complexity to that, especially in a climate tech startup. And, you know, it's not just one dimension either. Carbon is one dimension, but there's biodiversity, there's water usage. There's all sorts of things that the, the term sustainability encompasses. Um, so that was really useful. Um, but at the time, I, I also met my co-founder whilst I was on Carbon 13, um, Harry who um, put a uh, sort of uh, a message onto a, a climate group on Slack. I think it's work on climate saying, hey, I would like to volunteer at any startups. Um, here's my experience. And I sort of jumped at the chance and said, OK, we'd love you to volunteer. I've been doing this all on my own. Come and join this startup. And so Harry had joined at the same time and he'd been volunteering. And then in the end, I ended up con um, paying him as a contractor because I, I needed more help. And then 
what transpired was that Harry was doing such a good job and we were getting on really well. I just decided, okay, maybe Copland 13 is, is not the place. My co-founder is right under my nose. And I convinced him to quit his mm. job and, and join me sort of earlier this year. Amazing. So you kind of dipped into the Carbon 13 programme. You kind of didn't, you found your co-founder elsewhere, um, but yeah. still took a lot of the kind of knowledge and education around around how to communicate and analyse the impact of your business from, from that experience. Yeah, if you want to raise venture capital, Carbon 13 is great for sort of priming you with all of the terminology, the language mm. and all of the sort of the hoops that you need to jump through in order to be attractive to, to investors. So that, that was really useful for us as well. And then you did two more startup accelerators over the last kind of year, 18 months. Is that right? The the Subac one and the, the Google program as well. Talk me through how, again, how you came across those, what the application was like and, and what you gained from, from going through those experiences. Sure. Yeah. So I saw an application from Subac and, you know, genuinely a theme through like, like my whole career is this battle between profit and um, doing good. In, in my head and it's in my early notes and I still we still grapple with the same idea today and so Subac was quite refreshing in that sense and that they weren't sort of looking just at the venture fueled startup as solutions to fix climate they're also looking at the non-profit how uh, impactful non-profits could be to fix climate and so I found that idea really interesting and I spoke to them I applied to their fellowship and you know luckily I got on and they've been They've been helping us in all sorts of ways. They've given us access to some tools which help us pull data from lots of different sources to um, show lots more sustainable information information for our products. Um, so that's been really useful. And then Google, I think, found us. Um, I don't even know how they found us, to be honest. I just got a, uh, an email from someone at Google saying, uh, we've got this program, would love you to join. And, and they sort of invited us to join and we applied. And yeah, and um, they've been really useful. Um, the great thing about that program is that any problem that I have, there's I can sort of fill out a form on Google and they'll get an expert on that problem to give spend an hour with me uh, helping me solve that problem. Um, and, and they've got some really good people on their cohort. So there's a great community of startups on the SDG program. So, yeah, it's been been really useful to sort of tap into that resource. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and just goes to show how kind of putting yourself forward for these or getting yourself out there so that you get noticed like in in the google case um by some of these organizations is really valuable because you can pick up all of those different lessons um and, and kind of take them with you on your journey so from those what do you think the kind of core kind of two or three lessons you've learned from those experiences have been and how have they kind of shaped how you've been building your business over the last year to two years uh yeah so i think two key lessons is um your team and your co-founders really get to know your co-founders and who you want to join your team and like whether you fit well as as, as a team, you know, because I'm quite like creative and spontaneous and all over the place basically most of the time. And Harry's really like structured and he gets some stuff done really well and organized. I think it works quite well together. So I think getting your team right, making sure you know who you're working with and like uh, make, make sure it works is really important. And then also thinking about the type of company you want to build and whether that is a, a venture backed company where you're expected to grow um, over a certain period or, or a bootstrap company or a non-profit or a social impact company there's all different ways to structure your company and that might dictate which route you go down for funding and um, making sure you build something that's sustainable for the, over the next sort of five to ten years mm. and which of those did you just decide upon we're still deciding we're looking at private investment but also like some of the uh, grant funding as well because we're doing stuff that i think is a public good you know we're helping people waste less and it's useful for governments and cities we're talking to cities uh, as a whole so a mixture of both we're still sort of uh 
the, the way I describe it, there's a lot of startups there that take brand funding and private investment because they serve a sort of dual purpose. And I think that's kind of, we're kind of doing a little bit of both. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, ultimately as well, you know, with the, the positive climate related impact aside, surely it will just save councils a lot of money if people are getting this stuff right at source and they're not having to, you know, rectify where people are putting things into the wrong bins and disposing of things incorrectly. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of money. You know, it, you, people will be surprised. It's millions of millions of pounds uh, across the country wow. wasted on um, contamination. And also, like, if you recycle right, it can actually help some councils generate more revenue because they can sell that better quality material on, onto the market. Um, so I think it's a really easy win, sort of low-hanging fruit in sustainability. It's just getting our uh, um, it's the stuff we throw away right. You know, it, it could be solved just with a bit of education and incentives. Yeah. And like you said, that's it's nice because it's empowering. It's something we can all do. And I think, you know, in the wake of, you know, COP27 and, you know, various other um, things that are happening at the moment, it can be easy to feel a bit hopeless um, about yeah. things on a macro level and how much change is really happening um, by the powers mm. that be. So actually, you know, knowing that there is something concrete, albeit small, that we can do, but that cumulatively, if we're all doing it right, adds up to, as you said, in this case, you know, the equivalent of millions of pounds worth saved um then yeah it makes a big big difference amazing and um talk to me about where you're at today then so the the app has evolved slightly over time it's gone from being you know this big picture look at the entire impact of a product to right now let's really zero in on recycling and waste so talk me through the app as it is today how can people access it what does it do what are the current features um and talk me through your kind of your team as it stands at the moment yeah, so it's just me and Harry at the moment. We are on a lookout for a third co-founder, if anyone's out there listening and fancies joining. Um, and at the moment, we're focused on recycling. And we've sort of, we're in a great transition period now where we're really starting to nail recycling. But we're looking at interesting ways to give people a bit more transparency about what that happens. With with, with Lambeth, we're working with, um, they're working on putting bin sensors on the actual bins in flats and estates. So you actually get feedback on what's happening with your waste as a community, not just as an individual. And we can also show a bit of transparency of where that goes, because there's actually a bit of negative press about whether recycling works. And in some cases it doesn't, it's exported, but in a lot of cases it does. And so it's worth promoting that sort of transparency to encourage people in an area where they it does get recycled in the UK and it does get recycled effectively. It's worth promoting that and shouting that and helping people feel more inspired by that. So we're looking at recycling, but also all of the other things around waste and consumption. So reuse, can we incentivize people to reuse their takeaway containers and their coffee cups to cut down on packaging? Maybe if we get rid of the need for packaging in the first place and look for unpackaged items near you and, and composting as well. So community composting is an idea that we're experimenting as well. So it's, if you don't want to take on the responsibility of composting yourself, what about if your neighbor does want to do that? Do you want to just drop off your food waste to your neighbor? Uh, if your council doesn't collect that food waste. So we've got a lot of really exciting sort of uh, new tangents that we're going off next year to just basically help every household reduce the amount of waste that they create. And and I agree with you about the COP20, the, the sentiment around COP, you know, like we do need these big moonshot ideas and like the carbon capture and solar panels and electrification of the grids, for sure, that needs to be um, pursued. But I also think just the little changes, that the consumption and behaviour changes, I think that needs a lot of attention too. So uh, we're really excited to be sort of building stuff around that. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. I love some of those ideas. Uh, and that, that bit around 
incentivizing reuse are you, yeah. are you kind of planning to do that through like nudges in the app and suggestions of well rather than recycle this have you thought about using it for this exactly that yeah like a lot of packaging actually can be reused and containers can be reused and what we really want to do is really highlight those brands that are actually doing the right thing and releasing these new products that are reusable there's a lot of great business models that are coming out um that deliver um food to you in reusable containers and you drop them off or even uh, you know beer bottles you can drink your beer dropped off and it'll be washed and sent back and uh, given to the business or whatever and so there's there's a lot of great businesses that are trying to do these things we want to try and help them and make it easier for consumers if possible yeah and collective composting that's an absolutely brilliant idea yeah that's what we're excited about um, yeah, love that. Um, perfect. So loads of really exciting ideas then. And a third co-founder, really, really exciting. What what skill set do you think you need from, from that person? So you said, you know, you're kind of driving forward with the, the innovation and the ideas and you've got all the energy. And then you've got Harry, who's kind of much more practical and making sure that everything's being done properly. What, what skill set do you think you guys need to add into the mix at this point? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that Mine and Harry's strengths are quite technical. We're good at building the app side of things, but there's also a lot of science involved in what we're doing. Um, you know, we see a lot of uh, content around plastic and packaging, whether plastic is good or bad. And it's not that simple at the end of the day. Plastic can be good or bad, depending on the type of food that it's wrapped in. For example, frozen peas means people have a, a plant-based protein that can stay in the freezer for three months um, and avoid food waste. And so we want to get someone with a bit of expertise in that sort of the science side of things so we can actually give people um trusted valuable science backed advice on, on what to do and also show them the carbon savings of, of of doing those actions as well um so someone on that side the sustainability chief sustainability officer or someone who can really bring a bit of uh strength on that side of things amazing okay well there you go so if anyone's listening to this that has that skill set has that knowledge and has a passion to use that to join a startup to make a big difference then get in touch with Vikesh. Um, perfect so what do the next 12 months bring then you talked a little bit about these other ideas so hiring a third co-founder developing out some of these other ideas um, have you got any other roads that you're kind of looking to go down are you looking to kind of close funding looking for any further grants what, what else is on the roadmap for you next year? Yeah, we're in the application of applying for a couple of uh, big grants as well. And we're also raising a little bit of uh, SEIS funding to, to go alongside it. We've got some big trials coming up as well that we really want to make sure go really well, um, which are focused on recycling in estates and flats and things like that. Um, and and then also we're talking to a couple of big brands as well about building a, a reward system for recycling. You know, So if you recycle this brand's product, they will reward you by, um, I don't know, either planting a tree or collecting some plastic somewhere where waste management is a problem. So we're just building out our technology to make it a lot more fun and a lot more enjoyable to do, not only by yourself, but as a community as well. So in schools, in hospitals, in uh, university campuses. Um, so, yeah, that's it's, it's looking like a really exciting next year. I think it's going to be a very exciting uh, roadmap for us. Yeah, that sounds great. And it sounds like although you you're kind of focused on this really specific niche. You're being as broad within that niche as possible then. So looking at, you know, the B2C, what can the day-to-day -day consumer do at home to be better? Looking at the B2B, how can businesses then be supporting that and driving that and encouraging their consumers to do better? And then looking at the kind of local government and community piece and how can communities and government help and make it easier for people and inform people? Um, so, yeah, that's amazing. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a really exciting year ahead then. 
It, it is, yeah. Everybody throws stuff away and everybody, from what we gather, does it wrong. So I guess the problem is everywhere. So we've got a lot of work to do to try and uh, try and help clean it up. Yeah, I remember someone said to me years ago when I was younger, he said, you'll throw that away. They went, there is no way. Yeah. <laughs> no one throws exactly, anything yeah. away. <laughs> it yeah. all goes somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that education a... piece. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. The ed education is important. People see it as like a magic box that you just throw stuff in and yeah. it just disappears. But obviously the reality of it is a very complex, sometimes murky uh, context of what happens. It's, you know, it's something that we should all learn about and try, try and do a little bit better if we can. Yeah, and I think, I think there's been a real drive over the last 10 years for us to know more about where our food comes from. Um, so before it gets to us, where's it come from? What journey's it been on? There has been nowhere near enough focus on once it leaves us, where does it go to? Um, so yeah. I think, yeah, that, that piece of the journey is really, really crucial. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, perfect. So um, I always round out by asking some quick fire questions. Um, so if you're happy to, to go through those with me, what would you say your first quick fire question would be your top piece of advice for somebody that is thinking about setting up their own business? Yeah, I mean, it's very cliche and I guess very obvious, but just think about profit, profitability, right? especially now in this current sort of tech climate. Um, it's, it's, it's important to get those basics right about margins, who your customer is, what their need is, what their budgets are, and, and really get into those numbers early on because it can really help you. Obviously, there are some businesses that can just really grow really fast without profitability, but I think the landscape is changing right now. And so, uh, yeah, just the basics of profit, profitability would be good to focus on. Yeah, I think so. And I think quite often, and this is a big generalization, but I think quite often when people are launching purpose driven businesses, there has been a drive to focus mm. on the purpose above the profit. Um, and almost to feel like to focus on the profit is the wrong thing to do. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think unless the business is profitable, it can't sustain. And if it can't sustain, it can't help anybody and it can't actually change anything. So I think you're right. Yes, profitability has to be held with, you know, high importance because, yeah, you've, you've got to stay solvent to solve the problem. Right. That's a great way of putting it. And I, and I say that as someone who's made this sort of uh, decision myself or had these mistakes myself and struggling with it. So it's something that I've, I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely romanticized the uh, impact side of things sometimes and not focusing enough on the profitability. So, yeah, it's definitely a top yeah. top tip. Perfect. Good tip. And um, which business or sustainability role model do you wish you could just have one hour with? Uh, Tessa Clark from Olio. She's like a she's like a you know, that company is, is a real inspiration to us. You know, they've they created a real aha moments like they just what if we just stopped throwing stuff away that was perfectly good and gave it to people? And now millions of people are doing that across the country. And I think there's there's loads of these sustainability aha moments that we still need to go through. So. And she's running a very profitable company that's high growth. And she's um, been like on podcasts showing that that can be a way to have high impact and be profitable. And in fact, we should be rewarding people who do these things as well. So um, she's definitely a huge inspiration to us. Fantastic. She is amazing. Yeah. And I think um, if anyone's listening, doesn't know who Tessa is, doesn't know who Olio is, it are and hasn't hasn't checked them out, do do go and look um, because they're doing really, really fantastic work. But yeah, Tessa's amazing. One of the, two of the things I love about Tessa, uh, one is I think she's a fantastic role model for female founders. I think Tessa and Sasha have really kind of bucked the trend when it comes to female co-founders being able to raise significant amounts of VC money, which is, you know, 
uh, yeah goes against goes against the trend um sadly yeah. <laughs> the trend yeah. um but is also a really good advocate for female founders and for driving mm. and empowering women to go and get that funding and build those businesses uh, but the other thing is whenever i've heard her talk she always says something that makes me go oh, that's amazing <laughs> whether it's a quote or a story or just a way of looking at it yeah she's she's absolutely brilliant um and she's done a fantastic write-up recently on um her experience at, at cop um which has a fantastic analogy about a hummingbird and how we all need to be hummingbirds in the climate crisis so go on tessa's page and read that it's um it's really good um okay and the third question what is one quick lifestyle change that you could recommend to listeners to help them live more sustainably i think i can guess what this might be <laughs> well actually it won't it won't be recycling because that's pretty obvious but i think i'll take oh. something from yeah I, just recycle more but uh, no i think I'll take something from like uh, my my mum. It's like the way she cooks, you know, she, like something like lentils. Right. It's, it's cheap. It, it keeps in the cupboard for ages. You can buy it in bulk. Uh, it's plant-based protein, uh, so it's better for the environment. And with a little bit of effort, it can make it really tasty. So, like, you know, I think changing the way we cook can really help have an impact. So that that would be my tip. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people get in a rut, don't they, with with cooking and I think thinking of some new recipes some new ingredients that you can use that you can buy in bulk that you can buy packaging free even um store more sustainably um yeah it's, it's um and there's a whole education piece there I think that we're missing as a nation isn't there around how we kind of store food um how we and how we cook um so yeah yeah that's a great tip thank you so much lovely well thank you so much for joining us Vikesh. there's some really brilliant things in there um that I think you know lots of founders and lots of aspiring founders um can learn from so yeah thank you so much for sharing your journey with us i really really appreciate it and good luck finding your third co-founder thank you very much and no problem thanks thanks for having me it was really fun take care bye take care. see you bye thank you for listening please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes we've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the above and beyond youtube channel Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show. See you next week.